Welcome into another edition of the Gigam 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, joined by Carter Carls. A little special edition of the podcast today. We're live on YouTube, taking questions from subscribers. Big thank you to those who have submitted questions already. And feel free to drop in any questions that you have. And we'll try to get to as many as we can. But a lot to get to. Carter, how, how's everything been? It, it sure seems like a good time with football back. Oh, man. Best time of the year, man. I just can't wait. Uh, we already got to see uh, Kellen Mon and Zach Wilson. We are, we're already getting a little taste of football. And we had the uh, obviously the uh, open practice that we all went to uh, Sunday. So um, real excited. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy about this podcast. It, it'll be great to answer some questions for sure. We're we're going to have some fun and we're going to talk a lot about that. That's open practice that happened on Sunday. It was kind of the most extended look that fans have had a chance to get. Media's had the chance to get. There's been some limited windows for media, which we'll certainly dive into as well. And yeah, just echoing your thoughts. I was talking to Cam Coleman last week during Phoenix City's media day and asked him what his his excitement level for their season getting underway. And he said he would give it a 12 out of 10. So you could kind of sense the excitement on that. Um, I think we're we got a lot of scheme questions. We got some pr- pr- prediction questions, some position questions. So uh, I think everybody's kind of looking at the scheme first, and that's where we're going to kind of kick things off on this edition of the podcast. Um, got a question, just what what changes have you seen on both sides of the ball uh, that you see as kind of improvement? We'll, we'll start off on, on kind of a positive note. Yeah, well, let me first start with Bobby Petrino, right? The biggest question yeah. of this offseason, what will this offense look like under him? How much is Jimbo willing to give up to, to him? You know, he hasn't always been willing to, you know, answer all the questions related to Bobby Petrino. Well, we got to talk to him on Sunday, and if you haven't watched the press conference, you need to, because I thought it was the most informative, insightful uh, presser probably of every press conference at AM combined this year, it was probably more informative than all of those. So um, the biggest thing I have kind of seen, and thanks, Sam, uh, for, for joining us. I appreciate yep, you. Got uh, some live comments on there. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, the biggest thing I noticed in spring that I kind of wanted to look in at the preseason camp, see if that was still a thing, was Jimbo was really taking a step back in practice. Wasn't as involved, not as hands-on. Uh, I was talking to a couple of media members about this. I'm like, does he always do this? And I'm like, no, no, he, he never did this. He's very involved in the past. And whereas now it's kind of like he's just chilling on the side, talking with Jim Chaney, uh, one of the analysts, while Bobby Petrino's doing all the work. And we talked to Max Johnson on Sunday, and he talked about how Bobby Petrino is really running a lot of the quarterback meetings and he's calling the plays in practice and expects to call the plays in the game. So, so far, so good as far as Bobby Petrino being very involved, his fingerprints are all over this offense. Um, You know, you'll see things here and there from uh, the players talking about how the tempo's uh, faster, but, you know, we asked Bobby Petrino about that and it's, it's not just that the tempo is faster. It's that, they're, they want to be able to play at a variety of tempos because, you know, sometimes fast tempo is not always what you'd like to do. So being able to do a bunch of different things, being more multiple, using more personnel packages, 
having more motion. That's something that uh, Max Wright talked about in the spring, having more pre-snap motion. So all of kind of the buzzwords you want to see in an offense, right? More personnel right. things, more pre-snap motion, more varieties of tempos, more receiver alignments. That That's kind of what we've heard and seen. Uh, I'm still kind of in a little bit of a wait and see mode for what it'll all look like. But uh, another thing, I think they're willing to be more aggressive down the field. Uh, I think that's something that some of these receivers have talked about, uh, wanting to take more chances downfield, wanting to, you know, you even see the receivers in practice kind of working on their releases and working on kind of their down the field patterns. Uh, definitely feel like this is an offense that wants to open it up more and take more of those shots downfield. Yeah, and I think you've kind of seen that in what players have said is they've talked about wanting to be aggressive. They talked about being able to take some of those shots downfield. And I think that kind of gets into another question of what what are some of the early takeaways from feedback from the players in regards to these changes? I think a lot have talked about that, about being aggressive and being being able to push the ball downfield. And I think you do have to take it, just from my perspective, you have to take what the players say with a little bit of grain of salt just because they were really excited. And we saw this a little bit last year as well. Guys come up and say we're going to be – more explosive, we're going to be faster. But, you know, if the players are buying into the message, that's, that's I think, a good start. But what are, what are kind of the takeaways that you've had from, from what players have talked about? In relation to the offense? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, I keep kind of hammering the Petrino point, but yeah. one thing I was fascinated by watching him in practice was I was sort of expecting – this purple-faced dog cussing guy. Yeah. That has not been the case at all. I mean, he is, of all the coaches on the field, he may be the most calm coach on the whole field. Like, like seriously. And, and I'm not buying into the fact that he's always going to be like that. Like, he's obviously going to yell at guys. He's obviously uh, going to um, – dog cuss guys every now and then right you, you, you kind of got a laugh out of him the other day when you brought it up he, he kind of chuckled yes. a little bit. yeah i asked him about that he's kind of like yeah well, we'll we'll see what it looks like when the season gets started you know <laughs> and, but but i think because of that he's been able to kind of because he's an offensive coordinator he's able to be different than what he was like as a yeah. head coach he talked about how like hey this is not my team this is jimbo's team I'm following his lead. I'm not the one that needs to get on the players. My job is to kind of teach them the scheme and teach them technique and things like that. And because of that, I think you're seeing the players really buy into stuff. It's not a, a drill sergeant deal anymore. It's it's a lot more just hands-on, common composed uh, coaching. And uh, I think they've been really receptive to that. So I think the players are fully bought in. Um, I, I even saw uh, Escher and Cooper on Instagram last night. It was like, it was like uh, P- Petrino just makes me shake my head in practice. Some of those play calls he comes up with. Uh, so I think even the defensive players have been pretty impressed with it too. No doubt. And, and to this point, you know, if the offense improves, I have no fear. I think that that echoes kind of the feeling for a lot of a- A&M fans of if this offense improves and is consistently good, I think this team's got to, a really high ceiling. And, uh, you know, I think just, just sticking on Bobby Petrino for a moment, I think one thing that I kind of gathered from watching that press conference, 
he's having a lot of fun right now. He's having a lot of fun. And I think it put a lot of AM fans at ease just being able to listen to that press conference. And, you know, some, I thought, first of all, I thought he knocked the press conference out of the park just in terms of the answers he gave. Um, you know, he was very open. He was very honest. And it was questions like somebody asked, you know, what is, what is, what do you have to prove? Or what do you want to leave your mark on, on this program? And he said, listen, it's not about me. It's about the players and finding ways to help the players uh, succeed and, and improve and, and, and go from there. And, you know, it's about working with Jimbo Fisher on creating the Aggie offense and, and some of those points. And I think you can kind of see that, that he's really settled in nicely, is excited about this opportunity, is happy to be at A&M and, and things really seem to be going smoothly. Um, switching to the defensive side of the ball, because DJ Durkin also spoke a little bit on, uh, on Sunday and, and Elijah Robinson met with the media as well. Um, I think that goes to the second part of, your, of, of the of the question about what you've kind of seen on both sides of the ball. Um, what what are some big things you've noticed on that front? Yeah, a couple things. Um, should we answer Sam first, or yeah, let's, ask, let's, first? let's answer, let's answer yeah. Sam. I just saw this, but uh, need more coaches at Sunday Presser. How's this staff to work with? Impressions on how they engage a team especially after losing TP. Um, I guess, is he asking more like... Uh, Just in terms of what so the players and... What the players think of uh, the coaches yeah, or media? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's we don't get to see a whole ton as far yeah. as what the coaching looks like. Uh, we did see the open practice and... Um, it's nothing out of the ordinary, nor uh, ordinary from what I've covered. I mean, every, every coach seems like they belong. Okay. Us and players. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, you know, we only, we've only, that was our only chance to talk with assistant coaches this yeah. whole year. Um, you know, I, I did think Petrino was by far the most insightful and it's pretty easy to deal with. You know, we've, we've talked about that with the coaches. Elijah Robinson is somebody that I feel like just watching him coach, you, you learn something every time you, uh, you, you're, you're standing there and watching and you can tell the players are really receptive to him. And uh, he's the associate head coach for a reason, right? So yep. uh, kind of a father figure for those, for those uh, players, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, helps, uh, I think helps with, 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 you know, bridging the gap and, and helping ease that transition with TP is having a guy like Elijah Robinson there. They're tremendously lucky to have somebody yes. like him that that um, has such a close connection with a lot of the players. So I think to that point, I think that's that's helped make this transition as easy as as possible during an extremely difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. AM's done a great job keeping him happy too. They've given him mm -hmm. a couple raises. They've giving them all these job titles to stay. This is somebody that you could definitely see very soon being a defensive coordinator, maybe even a head coach one day in the power five. Uh, Elijah Robinson of all the coaches uh, has one of the brightest futures on staff. He'll now coach the entire defensive line. So, um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we've seen it in practice before that they kind of do these rotations where, you know, he'll, he's always kind of worked with the defensive ends as well as the defensive tackles, who's primarily D tackles, but 
it's not like he had never worked with the DNs before. So he, they all know him well. They they have a really good uh, relationship with him. And yeah, I, I think this will be a pretty smooth transition for sure. I, I do think the one curious thing was, you know, I'd wondered if they would finally hire a special teams coach. Uh, <laughs> they didn't. And, uh, you know, it's very rare for a Power 5 program to not have a special teams coach. Jimbo obviously uh, handles – uh, some of that, but uh, yeah, I, I was curious if that would be what they uh, decided to do, but uh, was not. So just to, to kind of keep that position as a as an analyst role, um, and and went with Joe Schaefer, obviously who was on yeah. staff and and was somebody that Jimbo mentioned was was being looked at for some DC jobs. So he's going to be working in the um, in the secondary along with TJ Rushing and uh, Brian Gross Armiento. Uh, going back to that point about the uh, the changes on both sides of the ball, just your impressions of DJ Durkin and, and what he had to say yeah. during the press conference. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Durkin is, you know, everyone was pretty used to the Mike Elko defense, right? Been there for a handful of years. Mm-hmm. Well, Durkin first year, a lot of young players playing, some injuries up front. I mean, you think about it, yeah, it was a very disappointing effort from the defense. Had a great, uh, great statistically, uh, secondary-wise, but run defense obviously was the biggest problem for them. But, you know, you, you had a couple things at play where you're like, okay, well, a lot of these guys playing are 2022 class guys. Uh, Durkin, it's his first year, new scheme. They're trying out a, different th- a lot of different things. I think – this year, it's kind of more the comfortability of you know, having a guy in his second year and understanding the verbiage and all the all the things that come with, you know, learning a new scheme. Uh, as far as what I'm watching out of the defense, uh, I'd mentioned this a, a few days back before uh, that open practice. I had mentioned that, hey, guys, uh, Tony Grimes may not be the starter at cornerback. And I said, it'd be very surprising or I didn't say that I'd say I wouldn't be surprised at all if Josh DeBerry ended up winning that job uh, just based off what I had gathered up to that point. And I think that shocked everybody. I think people were like, wait, what? Like uh, <laughs> we thought Tony Grimes was star. Yeah. And uh, you know, when Tony Grimes committed to A&M, it wasn't just the fact that he was highly rated high school recruit. He had played as a starter for three seasons for a pretty nice program in North Carolina and he had, you know, gotten a lot of pass breakups in his career. He had gotten all ACC honors in the 2021 season uh, and two, four, seven, and pretty much every site that does the transfer rankings really regarded him pretty highly. And then he lined up as a starter all spring and well, uh, nope, that it turns out to Barry may be the one that, wins that job. Javon Thomas was another guy, the freshman of the 2023 class has really impressed a lot of coaches uh, uh, on this team. And he's now getting the first team reps as well. So what we saw Sunday was Thomas and DeBerry splitting those reps and uh, Grimes kind of working with the second and third team. And that's not to say that Grimes is out of the count. You know, he's still going to get reps. He's, you know, if he doesn't win the starting job, he still will be an important part of the defense. But uh, I just 
singled that out because I even even Sunday after I'd already said it out there, people were like, wait, where's Grimes? And, and uh, yeah. people were very surprised to learn that. So that was something that I'm watching with, with the defense, just something that wasn't uh, as anticipated. Um, we, we've seen Damani Richardson uh, also not practice as much. He's, he's been kind of a limited participant so far. So we've seen more of Jacoby Matthews. But uh, Damani, uh, coming back, we'll, we'll learn more about this defense once he's back because that's obviously a critical piece uh, to this defense. Um, yeah, there's a few other things I'm watching, but I don't want to keep rambling. So I'll, I'll let you let me up. Yeah. We'll, we'll switch a little bit to positions as well. And I think I think there's some – there's some good questions on that front that we're, we're going to end up covering a lot of, of different things. Um, I think, I think this is kind of one of the pressing questions that goes, it goes along with a question that we got about the offensive line about, well, we got a couple questions about the offensive line, right? So I think we can kind of combine these together. Um, we got one, what is your season long view of the offensive line? If everyone stays healthy, another one, what's wrong with the offensive line? Um, and I think health is obviously a big deal in that. And, and it, it goes to a question that, that we got asking, how, is, how does Mo, Mo, Jordan Spasovich Moko look after his injury? Um, that's one of the guys, obviously, that got hurt during last season. They had just a rash of injuries along that offensive line. And uh, just what's, what's been your impressions of Moko and that offensive line in the early going? Yeah, Moko um... – He's he's looked better. I would say the biggest thing with him, he's probably not going to be a starter, right? You yeah. feel pretty comfortable with your interior offensive line. I I personally think Cam Dewberry. I don't know if I want to say it. I don't know if I think he's the best offensive lineman, but he's definitely has a case for being the best he offensive does. lineman. Uh, Bryce Foster, pretty cemented at center, and Layden Robinson, pretty cemented at right guard. Uh, Moko is somebody though, that I think if you have to rely on him, if, if someone gets hurt and you can plug him in, I think, I think that's a great option. I think he's in a great spot. And I think they have a lot of interior guys that they can uh, roll with on the offensive line. They're, they're not really as much my concern now, you know, Layden Robinson, Bryce Foster dealt with a lot of injuries last season. So yep. them being healthy, obviously is important. Uh, what I'm more concerned about though is the tackle position. Yeah. Uh, Trey Zoom last year did not play well, uh, especially as a pass blocker, as uh, a real struggle for him. Also struggled with injuries. Uh, Ruben Fathery, I think everyone expected him to take a major jump last season. He didn't quite do that, and he's kind of been battling injuries this offseason. Been a little bit of a limited participant in practice, but I think he should be good to go. Uh, by game one, just uh, based on what we have seen. Um, and then being healthy will be critical because the thing A&M did not do, I felt like in the transfer portal, they did a pretty nice job addressing the cornerback position and they did a pretty nice job uh, addressing the linebacker position with J.D. Davis. Now, they could have done better at those positions, adding maybe one or two more guys. But I think the position that they made a mistake by not adding to is offensive tackle. They don't have many reliable, proven guys, offensive tackle on this roster. Now, you could, you could argue that there's not a lot of uh, – every roster nationwide uh, doesn't have a ton of reliable offensive 
uh, uh, yeah. tackles. That it's a it's a tough thing to find, but you'd like to be pretty solid in your two deep. You know, I, I've seen some people say like they need to have six great offensive tackles. I'm like, okay, well, that's you're nice, not gonna find six, yeah. You know, but to have like your two deep, two deep, pretty set, and then have some young guys that can kind of bake in the oven before they come in, I think is the way to go. But instead, you have an injury an offensive tackle, and you're relying probably on a true freshman at, at one of the tackle positions. Uh, if it's a right tackle, maybe, or if it's uh, Trey Zoom that gets hurt, maybe you're having to slide Fathery over to left and Basanis up to right. And then you're not only playing a true freshman, but you're asking Fathery to play a new position. So in my mind, if this offensive line stays healthy, that was the original question. Yep. That would be awesome. And I think this offensive line is capable enough to be good enough, right? We talk about, I think this offense will take a major jump this year. I think they finally figured it out at the quarterback position. They've got unbelievable receivers. I mean, I, I really think this might be the best uh, receiving core in the SEC. I think they're solid at running back, solid at tight end. Only question is offensive line. If they're healthy, they will be good enough for this offense to be a pretty great offense uh, in the country. Um, as far as if they're not healthy, I guess it depends who goes down. Again, I feel pretty good about the interior guys, but the tackles, that's where I have the most questions. No doubt. I think you can get by with, you know, obviously Mark Naboo is a guy that saw some time at, at playing last season um, and – and can kind of step in, I think, into a role. He could be a guy in the, as a junior that steps in and is competing for a starting role. So I think he's a guy you could potentially turn to. I think Jordan Spasovich Moko is a guy you could turn to at along the interior. The guy I kind of have a question about, and then and it's 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 one of those is now the time that he's he's ready to step forward and contribute is Demetrius Crownoper. He's a guy that obviously we knew was gonna be there was gonna have to be some patience with, right? He was a former tight end in high school that has the ideal size and length to play offensive tackle now heading into year three. Do you feel like he's a guy that could potentially be ready in a pinch to step in at that tackle spot? I'm really fascinated to see crown some more of crown over because when you see him in practice, you're like, man, how's this guy not good? That's a physical specimen right there. You see him up, next to Basanis, and you think, are we sure Basanis is better? I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm just yeah. saying physically, like how they look, you're like, man, Crownover, that looks like an athlete right there. Um, yeah. And he had a couple nice one-on-one reps on Sunday, I thought. He, he was one of the better performers in that group. But for whatever reason, this staff does not seem to trust him as much as some of these other guys. You mentioned Naboo, Basanis being another one. Uh, so I think if, if they lost one of their tackles, you know, it'd be an interesting discussion, right? If father is down, you put Basanis in, but if Zoom goes down, do you put crown over in and keep fathery at right tackle? Or do you move fathery to left and put Basanis at right tackle? That will be the biggest question mark. Uh, the other thing I'll say about this offensive line is, you know, we haven't been giving them glowing reviews, but the positive here is 
this is an offensive line that has really struggled to have a continuity and a, a consistent starting five. And you look at this group right now, they brought everybody back. You've got uh, a fully healthy group, right? Uh, if fathery comes back like we expect them to. And um, it'll just be a matter of staying healthy. I think they are pretty confident about their five, like who they want that five to be. It would just be a matter of like Basanis or Naboo beating somebody out, which may not be a bad thing. So in my mind, they've got the continuity, and, and that's a really big thing on the offensive line. They're not moving guys to a bunch of positions and, you know, oh, what position is Dewberry at today? They've Nope, your, your left guard. Rice, your center, yeah. Layden, your right, uh, uh, right guard, and uh, and Zoom, your, your left tackle. Father is the one where it's like, ah, where do we put them? But uh, in my mind, I think it's a good thing that they have continuity. It's just a matter of staying healthy. No doubt, no doubt. I think staying healthy. If this team, if this offensive line, they've just not been able to stay healthy the last couple of years, and I think that's part of where that fear and that concern kind of comes from about the depth. Uh, another good question here on – on some players, and, and there's one that I think if he isn't flying under the radar anymore, is I, I think he's already passed the flying under the radar label, but um, guys on offense, defense, and special teams that you feel like have a day, have a chance to make a difference. For me, and it's a guy that I, I started to hear some – well, obviously we heard a lot of buzz during the spring about him and then talking to some you know sources down in the Houston area – this summer, people said to me, hey, Noah Thomas is about to have a huge year. Like, if they can get him the ball downfield, he can be a downfield weapon. He's about to have a monster year. And I feel like he still kind of is in that under-the-radar category just because he didn't catch a ton of balls last season. But I don't think he's going to be an under-the-radar player for very long. And that's that's kind of my number one guy on offense in terms of under the radar players that have a chance to make a special difference, but who are some guys offense, defense and special teams that you kind of feel like could fit that mold. Let's go maybe position by position Uh, receiver. Yeah. Noah Thomas. Think about how hard it would be to stand out when you've got Evan Stewart, Anaya Smith and Moose Muhammad. Yeah. He managed to stand out. Not to stand out, win the offensive MVP in the spring. It's unfortunate we didn't get to see him in the spring game other than a few plays. So no one really had the opportunity to kind of verify that this was legit. You know, is this guy just had a few good practices in the spring or like what happened? Well, when we went Sunday and watched him, this guy is freaking legit. Uh, I know there's other players we want to talk about, so – I guess running back, uh, you know, the top three guys. I you can't call them under the radar, right? Because they're they're, they're all, all expected to yep. contribute. So the under the radar guy at a running back, I'd say, would be David Bailey. Uh, no one no one talks about him too much, but I think he'll be a guy that they rely on in short yardage situations. Two hundred and thirty five pounds. Uh, what people forget was when he was at Boston College. I think he had like eight or 900 yards when A.J. Dillon with the Packers was yep. on the roster. Uh, they they grounded and pounded those guys. You talk uh, about bruising. Quite a bit. Yeah, they, they are absolute bruisers. And that's what Bailey is. And 
you know, I like Le'Veon Moss in those situations too. Yeah. I think he's a guy that is great at fighting for the extra yard, but, but Petrino, what he loves to do with his offense is have these bigger running backs. So I think David Bailey will see the field this year and will, will get some carries in critical situations. Quarterback, uh, you know, under, under the radar, right? You can't talk about the top two guys. So um, maybe Jalen Henderson, right? Uh, just bigger than I expected, uh, built built pretty well, and uh, has a pretty nice arm. I, I think he's got some decent arm strength to him. Uh, I think him and Marcel Reed, the freshman, are kind of battling for that third team spot, and I think Reed has a lot of intriguing uh, attributes as well. Uh, all right, we, we may need to go quicker, but tight, tight end, um, who are we thinking? Um, I mean, for me, for me, it, it it's kind of funny because I I might say, um, I might say Jake Jake Johnson just because we didn't get to see a lot of him yeah. last year and and you know I know there's been a lot of talk and rightfully so about Donovan Green and Max Wright but Jake Johnson's kind of the guy that I think could emerge and is ready to kind of take on a bigger role in the offense. I'd agree. I I like Donovan Green more. I'm not ready to say yeah. that. Jake Johnson is is better yet, but I will say he looks like I hate saying this because again one he practice looks the part. he looks different than he did in the spring. Yeah, in the spring he'd mess up in a couple drills, didn't look as fluid, and then he came out preseason camp and it's like he's running with the ones, he's running really nice routes, he's got very soft hands, just looks very athletic. Question with him is, can he stay healthy? How good can he block? Those, those are probably the biggest things. Uh, O-line, under the radar, uh, I mean, it has to be like Naboo or Basanis, right? Uh, yeah. And then defensive side of the ball, um, let, let me think. So let's go – let's start at safety. Um I I feel like at safety Jared Kerr kind of sneaks under the radar a little bit. You know, he he was in there, he was in the mix a little bit last year and I feel like he kind of flies under the radar yeah. with guys like Bryce Anderson and Jacoby Matthews and Damani Richardson, but I feel like Jared Kerr is a guy that can make an impact. This guy's not under the radar, but I I really think and he's he can be a safety, but he's obviously the nickel right now. Yeah. I think Bryce Anderson's probably the best player on this defense. Yes. Um, and every player in the roster, if I had to measure who had the most dog in him, it would probably be Bryce Anderson. It would probably be Bryce I, Anderson. He's He's got that dog in him. Um, and I think he could play safety. Uh, those are pretty locked, uh, right, with Richardson and Gilbert. Jacoby Matthews yeah. is a, a guy to watch just because he's, you know, uh, a year older, sophomore now, and – could be the next guy to kind of fill in for Damani Richardson. Um, you know, and I think a guy like Anderson could be used in at safety in some situations. Uh, as a cornerback, it's got to be Javon Thomas. It, it was DeBerry, but now it's out in the open. Javon Thomas, um, true freshman, and missed a lot of the spring too. And he's gone in right away and, 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 Think about it. Tony Grimes has started like 30 games in college and 
when AM picked him up, they were like, yeah, this is our starting corner. And Javon Thomas has given him a run for his money. It's pretty impressive. Um, linebacker, I'll go with J.D. Davis. Um, because, I, you know, linebacker play hasn't been very good, uh, at least last season. But what you could say about the top two guys, at least Edge Cooper, you'd say they got a lot of speed to them. They can, you know, go sideline to sideline a little bit. It's just they seem a little bit smaller, right? J.D. Davis, that was kind of my big question with him. How big is this guy? He's coming from Jackson State, played at Middle Tennessee State. Can he handle SEC football? And practice, just the eye test. I'm like, this guy is way bigger than I expected him to be. He put on 10 pounds uh, this summer. And uh, very impressive in drills. I I liked what I saw out of him. Uh, The end... D- and D tackle. There's a ton of guys. I mean, like you could so pick, many guys. You... Yeah, from this soft from from this 2022 class, uh, Eni White was someone that really impressed me in mm-hmm. Sunday's practice, uh, especially in one on one drills. J- just such a unique guy for them because they've got a lot of these bigger dudes that are like 270 at the end, and they they may not be totally fast or quick enough to, to get the quarterback. That's kind of their big struggle last year, but Enai White is the opposite of that. He's your smaller type who, who can rush and, and, and get to the quarterback. Uh, Shamar Stewart's been very impressive. You look at him on the field. Like if you stand right next to him, you're like, this guy looks like he could play in the NFL right now. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a few guys like that. Walter Nolan is like that as well. You just, you stand right next to him. You say, my gosh, and I can remember 2016 A&M Alabama standing next to Derrick Henry and going, this guy's different. <laughs> and that's what some of these D linemen feel like to me. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably missing a bunch of guys. I'm just trying to rattle them off off the top of my head. Did I miss I think, anybody you think? I think that covers like a good amount of them. And, and I think, I think, like you said, there's a lot of guys that are kind of known commodities, right? Because they, yeah. a lot of these guys played last season, and a lot of them are freshmen, going to be sophomores. Um, I think that gives a couple under the radar names. Now, the the final one we have to touch on from a position standpoint, and we got a couple questions on this. Uh, we got a lot of kicker love um, <laughs> in the questions we got. We got on Twitter. We got a couple of them. We got we got a couple on the board about him. Uh, Randy Bond. Uh, we, we don't get to see probably a ton of him, um, but from what you've got to see, uh, any any impressions on Randy Bond so far? Yeah, we see probably four or five field goal attempts per practice, Yeah, and two or three of them are within 30 yards. So we don't get to see a whole lot. Uh, what I'll say, though, pretty accurate within 40 yards, but – may not have the biggest leg in the world. Now I've seen him make some 50 yarders, um, but he's not going to be what we thought Kane Davis might be right. Where it's like, Oh, he's, he's coming into high school games and, and hitting 56 yarders, you know? Yeah. Uh, so probably That's kind of what Kane Davis was there for too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Constantino is a guy that came back and has been on a lot of preseason watch lists. Pretty, pretty. Uh, I would say he's decently good, right? Um, they also have the yeah. number one punter in the country that came in 
the 2023 class and Tyler White. So um, what I was surprised, though, was at practice Sunday, you know, they worked on some special teams drills, but I don't believe they punted once and they didn't work on kickoff at all. And maybe you don't want to show everyone who's lining up where on special teams, though I wouldn't think that would be that big of a reveal. Uh, but I do think that was weird. I'm like, man, I don't know if I've been to a practice where they never punt at the ball. Uh, I've been to a lot of practices. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say that uh, everything is uh, – Hunky-dory. We just we, – you just don't get to see a lot, right? For, for, for those who kind of have the question, you get to see about 20 minutes – um, about four periods and so um, there's not a ton you can sometimes see that's probably stuff that might happen mid-practice later in the practice um, but you get to see a little yeah. bit um, for those listening on the video hang with us we're, um, if you're listening to us on the Spotify podcast we're gonna take a quick break and, and we'll be back in just a few minutes again if you're listening on the video hang right with us we'll be right back All right, welcome back into the Gig'em 24-7 Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Hattersley, um, joined by Carter Carls. We're taking some questions here and, and having some fun talking a little fall camp. Um, it's prediction time. There were a lot of uh, questions on, on some predictions, and uh, we're going to have a lot more predictions as the season kind of gets closer. But um, fun one here, and I think it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one, is who will be the leading rusher this season now? You've kind of got the three options, I think, to kind of choose from between Amari Daniels, Le'Veon Moss, and Reuben Owens. I've kind of got my guess, but who who are you kind of going with? Oh, man, I've been thinking about this one long and hard. Uh, <laughs> it's tough. Uh, you tell me yours first. I'll show I, you mine me, if you show me yours. <laughs> <laughs> for, me, for me, it's Amari Daniels, just because I think he's the guy yeah. that – has the most experience, um, and I think it's it's kind of his chance to to kind of step into that that lead back role, and I think he has a chance to to really do that, and I think he has a chance to um, to kind of take the mantle as the number one back. I think you are going to see as much rotation as you've seen yet, though, under Jimbo Fisher and um, and yeah. Bobby Petrino. You're going to see them turn to Mari Daniels and Le'Veon Moss and Ruben. I expect Ruben Owens to be a a factor as well. Uh, I mean, by all accounts, all, all the early reports have been that he's off to a really nice start. And so, um, but I, Amari Daniels would be my, my assumption right off the bat. So what we know about Mark Blackwell, the new running backs coach at A&M, came from Ole Miss. At Ole Miss, they used two running backs a lot, right? They used Zach Evans and Quinshawn Junkins. So, they split up those reps, and that's not to say that he's 100% going to do that here. If somebody emerges out of that group, maybe you use them a bigger split. But I love all three of these running backs, so that's why it makes it hard to choose. I, going into camp, chose Amari Daniels because I thought he gave you the big, biggest big play potential. Yeah. Uh, I think you can kind of – pick game by game and almost ride the hot hand because 
they all give you something different, right? Amara Daniels yeah. is your guy who's your big burst, big home run hitter. You know, he's going to have the long touchdowns, right? We, we saw it in a couple games last year where we had these big runs. Le'Veon Moss is your kind of between the tackles, you know, fighting for extra yards, uh, breaking tackles through through contact, right? And then Ruben Owens is your, like, kind of – I'm not going to say – yeah, I'll say wild card because he looks really freaking good now. You wonder how good he is in pass protection and some of these things. But, like, all the things that a veteran – like that that a freshman can't do like he is doing so far like when it comes to reading the block like reading blocks correctly and being patient and, and you know once he gets to the second level having the vision and and the, the just sort of the quick reaction time to know exactly what to do he just always seems to make the right decisions so i said i went into camp thinking amari daniels would be the leading rusher Still kind of thinking that, but I'm slowly be converting. Close. I am converting to the Ruben Owens hive. That That's where I'm starting to lean toward uh, because that practice he had Sunday, he was a top five most impressive player at that practice. Uh, and I think you could very well see a situation where at the very beginning of the year, Amari Daniels is your starter. And they're using three running backs, a good bit, David Bailey and Jerry Johnson and Ernest Crownover for like the, the short yardage stuff. And then as the season goes on and Ruben Owens picks up, you know, these things that, you know, the nuances of the running back position, maybe he becomes the lead back second half of the season. I think that could happen. I think he's got the talent to do it. It's just, can he, pick up the nuances. Can you pick up learning how to pass protect? He's got the physical abilities to do it. Uh, he is an impressive looking athlete. So my pick is kind of Amari Daniels, but I'm kind of leaning toward Ruben Owens. I don't know if that's like uh, cheap to kind of say both, but I, I, I think it works. <laughs> I think it works for this. I think we can, we can roll with that. And we got one more, um, we got one more position player question um, added. And I think we already touched on Josh DeBerry a little bit, but Jade Walker is a guy that I think could also really factor into that wide receiver room. Um, a veteran option that, you know, Noah Thomas has obviously gained a lot of the buzz as the outside receiver, but I think Jade Walker could kind of have a, have a, have a, have a chance to factor in as well. What, what do you kind of think about him from what you've seen so far? Yeah. Here's the hard thing, right? You can like a guy, but you, you may not like a situation. And that's kind of how I feel with Jade Walker. How do you get on the field with these other receivers that are in the mix? That's my biggest question. But yeah. do I think he looks good in practice? Absolutely. He probably – I was telling uh, somebody the other day, Jade Walker may have the longest wingspan on the entire team. He has got some freakishly long arms that he uses very well when it comes to hauling in jump balls. I think you, you could see him a lot on these third and long situations or, you know, these obvious passing downs where you got to use four, maybe five receivers. Um, 
he's somebody that can crack that lo- rotation and, and be in the mix. But I don't think he's Evan Stewart. I don't think he's Moose Muhammad uh, or Noah Thomas. And, you know, Anaya Smith, kind of a different position. But uh, anyway, it, it's going to be hard to kind of get that playing time to be productive. But, you know, maybe he's in a situation where a couple of these guys turn pro and then the next year uh, he really, you know, steps into a, a big role. So I like what I see from him so far. I just don't know if he's going to be producing crazy numbers. And, and I think the good news about that is the depth, right? The, the, the depth that he provides to have a guy like that, who you can say, Hey, you'd be comfortable throwing him out there on third and long in, in a, in a four wide situation, maybe five wide situation. If injuries start to happen as they happen during every year, you've got a guy that you feel like you can, you can kind of fall back to falling back to the, go back to the running back question for a second. We got one about why can't they do a running back by committee? I think we, we kind of touched on that, that I think that's certainly possible that this year, I think they could go to sort of a running back by committee. Yeah. I think they could go to that. And, and I think you're going to see all three of those guys kind of factor in. I think that's why you haven't necessarily seen Amari Daniels is one, Ruben Owens is two. It's just, it's just a matter of who's going to end up with the most yards at the end of the year. And, you know, I, it'd be awesome if they all ended up with the same yardage. That would be actually be kind of entertaining. But, you know, if you were to pick one guy, you're kind of picking, but that's, that's, that's not to say all three or all four, as we talked about with David Bailey, don't have a role on this team and can, can contribute throughout the year. So I think it is going to be kind of different this year. And, and it's one of the things, you know, when you talk about Ruben Owens, we got a, we got a recruiting question. Uh, we got a couple and we're, like I said, Brian and I are going to do a, a recruiting podcast before the season as well to to kind of reset things. But I'm I'm not that concerned at all about the running back recruiting that A&M's going through right now. Obviously, they lost out on Taylor Tatum to Oklahoma. Um, Nate Frazier committed to Georgia, a modern day uh, standout who was who was one of the top targets, and Caden Durham uh, did not make it on campus at the end of July, and and that's when they're battling. Oklahoma and LSU for I think A&M is going to be fine at the running back spot um, you know there's still a lot of guys out there they can go after they could go after Kedron Young they can go after Nate Palmer who are committed to TCU and Notre Dame respectively but Nate Palmer lived in College Station previously Kedron Young is a guy that had an official visit schedule with A&M before he ended up committing to Notre Dame so I think I think there's guys that they can kind of pivot to um, they could Turn back to Quan Lacey of, out of Lancaster, um, who's committed to Nebraska. Um, wasn't a ton of traction there, but they could kind of turn the heat up in the fall with with him. And so I think they're going to end. But they've got Reuben Owens, and and you've got Reuben Owens, you know, already making some buzz as a freshman. Um, I think that room is in fine shape moving forward. Le'Veon Moss is obviously only entering his sophomore year. So um, then you've of course got the transfer portal if you need to go supplement that room so uh, I think I think that's that was the one recruiting question we got and then another one we got was who will A&M land before the season and how many five stars will they end up with that's a good question and I think what makes that tough to answer is I think some of it the to the five-star question I think some of it it depends on how A&M season goes um, I think that's A&M's in a spot as they kind of chase these big names that if everything goes really well and they get to 10, 11 wins, they can close on a lot of these guys and they can, they can really put together a special class. 
for now, I'll say two. Um, and that's not to say they're not going to, you know, land some some more national top 50 guys. I think Dalen Evans is a guy. If he has another really big year, um, 24-7 has got him ranked in like the 40 range. And so, um, you know, could he climb to a five-star and you could potentially get to three five-stars? I think, you know, you could, you could potentially climb to there. Ryan Wingo is a guy that, you know, I think they're – I think they've still got some work to do there, but had a positive start. Um, Kobe Black, you know, he's a guy I think if 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 they can get him back in town and continue to kind of generate some momentum. And then I feel good about Terry Bussey. I feel good as him as kind of that second five star. And then if they can kind of edge towards three, I think three's a nice a nice spot for them. And I, I think certainly achievable. Um, as for who they will land before the season, I think. I feel good about Papa Fua. Um, I put in a crystal ball for him earlier this week. Um, he will make his announcement on Saturday night on 24-7 Sports. So be sure to uh, be tuned in for that one. And then um, I think Blake Ivey is kind of an interesting one. I think I could see him deciding before the year. You know, he's kind of gone back and forth. It's kind of a battle with with um, with LSU. I agree. I think I think Kobe Black's one of the top priorities on the board, and I think AM has done a really nice job with him. They did a really nice job during the pool party. Um, from folks I spoke to, he, A&M, the AM staff just came off as really knowledgeable, and that's coming from sources who are, you know, going to be the toughest critics. They're going to be the guys that are kind of there looking for the best interest of their players, but talking to them. I got the sense that A&M did really well, and, and that's kind of a battle that could turn into an A&M-Texas battle. Um, A&M still got the official visit left to use for him, but Kobe Black spoke to 24-7 Sports earlier this month and, and talked about he had TJ rushing alongside him the entire way. And so I think I think that's a guy that um, A&M certainly got a shot with. So um, for right now, I'll say Sandra Afua and Blake, Blake Ivy would kind of be the ones and then Terry Buston's a hard one to figure out. There was some buzz in July with him. He kind of talked about maybe making a decision before the year, but I also wouldn't be shocked to see him wait a little bit longer. So um, I'll I'll say there, there's two as guys start to kind of turn their focus towards fall camp. Switching back to the team, um, these are always a fun one, and I kind of saved it for the for the end for a reason. Uh, what will be AM's record this season? I think this one's kind of fluctuated a little bit. And always kind of an interesting one. Um, I've got a number in my head. What say you about kind of what AM's record will be this season? So I'll do a final prediction a few yeah. game or a few days before uh, the season opener. So I'll have it written down in record. It will be final, and everyone can make fun of me at the end of the season if I'm wrong. So don't hold me against this prediction. Hold me against that prediction. Uh, <laughs> but right now I'd say I'm, I'm thinking eight or nine wins regular season. Yep. I, and I think I want to safely say if we want to include the bowl game, I'll say nine and four is what I'm predicting. What about you? Nine and four is kind of where I was at. I, You know, for me, the question I have, and, and James, to your, to your point, I mentioned that, that decision uh, – for Afua, be on the lookout. It will be on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel at 7 p.m. Central. So 
Papa Fu will announce his decision on the 24-7 Sports YouTube page. Uh, Texas A&M, Miami, and Utah are the finalists there. Um, but then be sure to stay locked into 24-7 Sports for that one, and we will have you covered over on Gigum 24-7. Um, I'm, I'm also kind of in that 9-4 and four range. And here's, here's my question. Uh, my question is along the offensive line. And I think that's, that's kind of where, you know, I need to see it to kind of believe it. You know, I need to kind of see this group stay healthy and I need to see this group take a step forward because the last two years, you know, for as much as everybody's kind of wanted to talk about the quarterback position and, you know, issues at receiver and issues with the offense, the offensive line has had a lot of struggles and, and there's been bright spots. Cam Dewberry's been a, ma- a major bright spot, I think, last year. Uh, but there's just been too much up and down for me. And until I see them take that step forward, that's that's kind of where I have to be cautious and I have to kind of not jump to that 9-10 win range. They've also got some tough road games. They got to go to LSU. They got to go to Tennessee. Um, and, you know, those are not yeah. easy. They got to go to Ole Miss and they got to go to Miami. Those are those are not easy games and, and no game in the SEC is easy. But um, it's a it's a challenging road stretch this year. Yeah, I think quarterback play is another big thing. Look at the last two years. Well, you could say offensive line was a problem. It was for sure. But I think the biggest thing that held the team back was quarterback play. And I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but it was pretty bad the last couple of years. And it held this team back. I thought 2021, they had the talent to win 10 games. Quarterback play was not good. Uh, yeah. 2022, uh, the guy they chose as their starting quarterback, I did not think was a good quarterback. Uh, Max Johnson comes in and he, he's hurt. And Connor Wigman comes in, he's a true freshman. Now, Connor Wigman said this all along. I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't win the starting job. I think he's your best quarterback here. But my biggest question is can he be a game changer? I think he could become a game changer. But right now, as a 19-year-old, sophomore, second year, are you a game changer now? And he's going to be set up to succeed. Whoever the quarterback is will be set up to succeed. They've, they've got an offensive coordinator that I am believing in. Uh, and then they've got an unbelievable receiving core. They've got a great tight end, great running game. So I think they're going to be set up to succeed. But will it be more of this game manager type quarterback or will it be more of a game changing quarterback? Now, what I saw Sunday in Connor Wigman, what I like about him is I think he's accurate. I think he's got a quick release, you know, can get the ball out of his hands quick. Uh, Very underrated as a runner. Um, I I think you'll see him use his legs quite a bit. Um, And I mean, when we talk about, what he's done so far, he had two incredible games. LSU and Ole Miss, I thought he was awesome. The question is, will he be more like LSU or Ole Miss, or will he be like more what he was against Auburn and South Carolina? I think he'll be closer to the LSU and Ole Miss, but can he do that every game? The thing I didn't like about what I saw Sunday was, you know, he didn't throw any interceptions last season. And you say, hey, that's great. But you can also say, 
Was he pushing it down the field? Was he taking a lot of chances? The analytics say that he didn't. They said that he really kind of distributed it a lot toward the middle of the field. And, you know, he, he had some plays on the outside, but, uh, but not a lot of chances down the field. And in Sunday, I didn't see that either. I felt like anytime he threw the ball deep, it was to wide open guys. You didn't see a lot of 50, 50 throws, right? Some jump balls. Uh, and you didn't see a lot of throws in traffic. It was a lot of short and intermediate throws. And then the occasional deep ball when somebody was wide open. So again, that's one practice. I'm, I'm not, he's not even able to run, right? Cause it's not live. You can't get tackled. Correct. So like, I'm not taking a ton of stock in that, but I'm just saying first impression, it, it, it does kind of raise your antenna and say, okay, will this be somebody that takes a lot of chances? Now I say all of this and I also realize he also did not throw an interception in this practice. And if you look at Haynes King last season, what was his biggest problem? He was careless with football. Interceptions. So do you need a game-changing quarterback to win 10 games this season? I don't know if you do. I think there's a lot of talent on this roster. But I'm just saying it's something to watch because if he can become that game-changing quarterback, it changes the floor of this team tremendously and the ceiling as well. I completely agree. I think, he, you know, I kind of watching some film with him. I think the thing, and when I look at Haynes King um, and I look at Zach Ozada and I, and I watch Connor Wigman and I watch Max Johnson footwork wise, I think Connor Wigman's in a much better spot from that standpoint. There was just too often. I felt like Haynes King and, and, and Zach Ozada kind of had happy feet. They didn't have a base set. Yes, and we're kind of throwing, we're kind of throwing, kind of helter skelter, and I, I feel like with Connor Wigman, he's got, he's got the footwork, um, can make some off schedule plays. He's a gamer. Um, he's a guy that can kind of throw from some different arm angles if he needs to. We saw that against LSU. Like you said, I think he's got some things to learn. He's only going into his sophomore year, and so, you know, I, I think there's going to be some growing pains still, and there's going to be games when he's kind of up and down. But I think from that standpoint, I feel better about him. Just to close things out, um, you know, Will, if you listen to this on Tuesday, the Johnny Menzel football, uh, the Johnny Menzel tell all documentary. I know everybody's kind of been looking forward to it. I know you've had a chance. You said to 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 watch it. It's on my bucket list to watch. Um, got got a question about just thoughts on it. And and again, as I said, I've got. I've got it kind of on my bucket list to watch really soon. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. Didn't get a chance to do it today as I was kind of getting ready for this this podcast. But um, just your quick thoughts on, on what you kind of saw, um, your impressions of the documentary. Well, first of all, I think it's awesome that Johnny did this and his family kind of opened up to yeah. wanting to do this. I mean, it's it's really difficult what that guy went through. I mean – you see it in the, in the documentary. Um, I still think even to this day, it, it's something that still kind of haunts him. All the things that kind of went down. Uh, I don't know if he's fully gotten closure from that. And I don't know if this documentary did that for him. So I'm hoping this documentary helped him get some closure and help, help them move on. I remember watching the Manti Teo documentary last year and you thought, man, I think 
I think this, I think he's in a good place now. Johnny, I, I hope he's in that good place too, after all that he's been through. Um, I thought there were a lot of great moments in this documentary and some awesome untold stories. I, th- I thought the best guy in the documentary was Johnny's agent, uh, Eric Burkhart, uh, in the NFL. He had some stories that no one's ever heard of. Uh, he was honest, uh, colorful. It, it was really entertaining. Uh, the thing I didn't like about this documentary is it felt like they squeezed a three hour movie into 70 minutes. There were so yeah. many things that they either just skimmed over or entirely didn't talk about. I mean, and, and, you know, we don't even know what he's doing now. They didn't talk anything post 2016 for the most part. And so you had all these unanswered questions. Uh, They didn't talk to a single player from those A&M teams. They didn't talk to a single player from the Browns teams. They talked to one coach and one reporter. So it was a lot of Johnny and his buddies. Uh, And I thought that that was good. I thought some of his uh, friends and people who knew him, uh, they, they did a good job explaining some things. But I felt like there was a lot left out, unsaid, or kind of skimmed over. And I just thought, you know, this is the most electric college football player probably ever. You got to make this like a three-part documentary. Like, this is Johnny freaking football. I'm not going to say – They've done that for some folks, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw Bill Walton had like a four-part 30 for 30 on ESPN the other day, and I'm thinking – I mean, maybe this is the young guy and me talking, but I'm like, Johnny Manziel, he's a bigger star than Bill Walton, eh? You know, like he deserves a three-part documentary. Think of all the different angles you could address. And there yeah. was so many things. Like the last 10 minutes were basically his entire NFL career. And I'm like, 10 minutes? Like I, I thought it could be an entire episode. Even though it yeah. was short-lived, there were so many different stories and angles to it. And to not talk to Mike Evans or Ryan Swope or Kevin Sumlin or Mike Pettin with the Browns, Kyle Shanahan, right? Uh, Kyle Shanahan was his uh, assistant coach as well. I just felt like that was a swing and miss. And so I think in the moment, everyone will like the documentary. There's a lot of great moments, right? But two mm-hmm. months from now, I think every, no one's going to be talking about it anymore. And uh, I think it missed the mark a little bit. But again, I think y'all will love to relive a lot of these moments. It, it, there, there were some really great moments in this thing. I just, I'm kind of like, man, this should have been three hours, you know? Yeah, we. That's the football junkies in us that we, you know, you, you, you bookmark your Saturdays to watch what Johnny Mundell was doing. He was, he was watch must watch TV and and so fun to watch. And uh, you know, hopefully he's in a better place and and can. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of find what's next after football and, and be well on that front. And I think that's what, that's what everybody's kind of hoping for. And, you know, some stories that kind of came out from the documentary, you just hope for his well being. and, but one heck of a fun football player to watch. And, uh, you know, thanks to everybody for doing this. This was fun. We got a lot covered uh, on, on this episode and we will certainly have more coming your way as fall camp kind of rolls on. The season's like three weeks away at this point, roughly three weeks away when a and will get underway on September 2nd against 
New Mexico, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Um, it'll, it'll take you just a couple seconds and you will certainly um, be glad to, to kind of do it, get notification every time a new video drops. Um, encourage you guys to do that. And thanks again for, for joining us. And we'll be back soon and, and hope everyone's having a great start to their week. Until next time, we'll see you guys soon.